Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Had a breath there. That was a quicker break. I had to run down the hallway. <laughs> we are talking about divorce-related issues this morning with attorney Allison Walsh with Walsh Law Office in Hingham. Good morning yes. again. Good morning. We are live this morning, Saturday morning. If you're listening in on the South Shore or in the Merrimack Valley, 781-837-4900 is the call-in number if you have any questions for us. Maybe if you're thinking about divorce or you're just starting the process and you have any questions, we have an expert in-house this morning. So give us a call. We love to have callers. Again, 781-837-4900. All right. So we were touching on child support before the break. Yes. I think let's get into alimony. So you mentioned child support is pretty, I don't know, straight up calculations for alimony. Yeah. Yeah, But like formula for child support. There's like a formula for child support um, and it's, you can Google it and find it. It's pretty easy and you can even play around with numbers. There's worksheets online that that you can see samples. Yeah. Alimony is a little bit different. The the legislature about, I guess it's about 10 or 12 years ago, I think 12 years ago now, passed a new law to update alimony. So it used to be that alimony could just be, alimony could be ordered forever, basically, right? Until okay. somebody died. And oh, okay. So that, so some people were 90 years old and maybe still paying alimony, oh, right? So Jesus, I think, yeah. you know, and obviously you have to remember, right? A lot of those laws were passed before people lived as long as they sure. do now. <laughs> right, so sure. I think understanding that okay. longevity has changed a lot and yeah. uh, the legislature passed a law, it was just a little over 10 years ago, limiting alimony to ending at retirement age. And also it's yeah. on a graduated scale based on how long the marriages. Okay. More recently, the child support guidelines and the alimony law have meshed a little bit. So right now, the way that the child, if there's children involved, the first $400,000 of combined income for the two parents yeah. gets plugged into the ca- child support calculation first. Okay. So if folks are making collectively under 400000 yeah. and there's kids, there's a good chance that there's not even going to be alimony. There's not going to be alimony because child support will be so substantial? Is that what you mean? Uh, so that the child support calculation would come first. Okay. And, and in, in a situation like that, you are going to see a substantial, because if you think about 20%, 20% or so, yeah, you're going to okay. have a pretty high child support order. Okay. And then it, recently there's been some cases that came down that are, again, unfortunately clouded things a little bit more. We thought that was a bright line rule. Yeah. Things are a little bit cloudy right now. Generally speaking, you're looking at alimony with when there's children in, involved in higher earning couples, yeah. really, it wouldn't really factor in with a lot of middle class folks that are making four hundred thousand or less combined. What does that mean? So under four hundred, I thought. Did you just say there's no alimony if the couple's making four? Up to four hundred thousand, and there's child support. So is that assuming that the couple's incomes are roughly the same in that four hundred thousand, or not you- necessarily? So if the one part, say one parent makes three hundred ninety-eight and the yeah. other parent makes yeah. zero, 
that's a situation where there might be some alimony coming in. Okay. So this is where the cases that came down recently clouded it, right? Initially, there was okay. this bright line rule that said under 400, you, you, you just do child support. Right? Interesting. Okay. And then now it's, you calculate it both ways. What would the alimony be? What would the child support be? What would a combination of the two be? And okay. again, there's yeah. more algebra involved. Yeah. And then the courts try and come up with some a number that seems fair. Okay. Alimony used to be tax deductible. It's um, no longer. Pre-2018, yeah. I believe. And it isn't anymore. Yeah. Alimony used to be the alimony calculations used to be about a third of the higher earner's income or the, the chill, difference rental, between the two incomes yeah of the difference of the two incomes now it's more like 25% okay. when you fat tax affect it so it used to be pretty tax efficient for pretty high income earning spouses to be able to deduct alimony and then the other spouse pays taxes at a low tax at rate low that was actually pretty tax efficient right. so, for the it, couple act, but I no mean, longer that, yeah that actually i yeah. think encouraged sort of some of the higher earners to sure. be more generous yeah. too because sure. they could work with their CPA and sure. figure out, okay, yeah, I can give... It's not really costing me as know, much as it sounds like it right. is. Yeah. We used to call that right. family support. Sure. It's okay, give a little bit more to your ex spouse. and the yeah. kids. Sure, sure. And, but you're going right. to you're gonna do okay at the end of the year, right? Yeah, but that's um, not no longer the case. No longer the effective case. Effective five or six years ago, at least, yeah. So okay. alimony, so if there are no children and there's a, different, a substantial differential between the two incomes, even on a marriage as short as a few years, you could see a short alimony order. Okay. Uh, but the longer the marriage goes on, the longer the longer. Alimony. alimony exposure is. Okay. So if you're only married seven years or less, the alimony exposure can only be up to 50% of the length of the marriage. Okay. Oh. So say you have a five-year marriage, you might only, you'd only have to pay alimony for two and a half years. Right? Okay. Something yeah. like that. Okay. And then it graduates up. So yeah. as the marriage gets longer, it goes to 60, 70, 80. Okay. Once you get to 20 years, it's presumed that it could go until the until uh, retirement. retirement. Or 65, I feel like. Is that a, is that a pretty common age? I think it's up to age? about 66 and a half now. It's, okay. So it's, it's the social security yeah, Social Security, full retirement, yeah. it's probably up to 67 then for so, some people. Pretty yeah. close, yeah. yeah. okay. But if couples are, if couples make roughly the same money and there's no kids, there's probably no alimony then either. If the incomes is the same? Yeah, if the incomes, or, if people yeah. make about the same, yeah, there wouldn't really be a need for it. Alimony right? is just for differentials in income. Yeah, so, right? It's, it, right, so, so it's differentials in income and yeah. based on need. If somebody's yeah. got millions of dollars in the bank, they may not need it, right? Because then that's the other argument, right? If, do you really need the money or are your expenses not that high? right? Uh. Maybe one party makes a whole bunch of money, but your expenses, your house is paid off or whatever, that can factor into it a little bit too. Is potential future financial position factored in as all, what, at all if one spouse comes from a wealthy family and the other one doesn't and one spouse might step into money later? Is that factored in at all or no? Because it's not reality at the current time. It can be, but yeah. because it's not reality, you can't yeah. really, unless we always talk about expectancies, right? Or do you expect to get the money, but are you really going to get the money? I mean, I you think never know. Yeah. back in the day, it was easier to say, okay, you're going to inherit this money with nursing home costs and things like that the way they are now. Yeah. Sometimes Sometimes people don't end up inheriting what they thought they did. Yeah. The, one of the things that the courts look at very seriously, though, is your earning potential down the line, right? Yeah. So if somebody's a high earner and they're going to be making, they have the ability to earn hundreds of thousands of dollars in bonuses every year. And yeah. I'm just going to say an example. The other spouse is, has a job where they don't get bonuses and don't get commissions and it's just their salary. Yeah. That has to be taken into consideration because they're probably not going to be able to save as much for retirement. Right. They're not going to have those right. banner years where they can put some money away and invest it. Yeah. So that has 
has to be taken into consideration too. Can we talk about alimony calculation? And I don't know if child, I don't think child support is a factor here, but like when there are differentials in income, one spouse to the other, because one spouse was home with the kids and either didn't work or worked very little. And then, there, so then there could be a wide differential in their mm-hmm. incomes, right? But then over time, is it expected for, as the kids get older, then the other spouse has some earnings potential. I think this is called imputed income, right? So can you talk about that a little bit when maybe one spouse isn't working, but at some point in time could be working? And how does the court look at that and potentially change either, I don't know if it's the current calculation or maybe it's revisited ongoing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. When earnings are either expected to change and then maybe we can get into when earnings actually change. Like there's a layoff or there's a significant change in income because of a job change for whatever reasons. Yeah, hundred percent. So in terms of expected income, when the kids are really little, depending on what people are making in daycare costs, courts aren't going to necessarily, if there's a two-year-old. They're not going to make mom go back to work full time. Or sometimes we say mom is still still breastfeeding or whatever. They're not going to make mom go back to work (laughs) doing that. Once the kids are in school age, they've expected that, and expected that mom should be working full time at that point. Usually they expect at least some sort of part-time or whatever. But for sure, once the kids are school age, it's okay. Both parents should be working. Both parents should be contributing as best they can to their children's support. So if at that time, one of the spouses and I guess typically it's mom maybe, hasn't gone back to work yet, there's the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to impute income. And impute is the word for assume that she should be earning at least X Right. Yeah. And, and there's some resources that the court has based on degree and level right. of education and sometimes, career. I mean, you know, sometimes, right? it's, or, sometimes they just no, say okay. minimum wage. Okay. okay. Just, just to get a baseline, right? Because sure. if, if somebody's yeah. been out of the workforce for five, six, yeah. seven years, they might have to start back at okay. a lower wage job. Sure. But yeah. there's also a concept called rehabilitative alimony, oh. which is a shorter term alimony award that sometimes we see in a situation where maybe, and again, I'll just stereotype mom, right, has been home with the kids. She wants to go back and, I don't know, maybe get certified as a teacher, right, because she wants yeah. to have the teacher hours or something. So maybe if they're going through the divorce, maybe the husband agrees to help her with the cost of getting her master's or whatever sure. to get her teaching certification. And That's, a higher level of alimony while she's in school, maybe. Right, and, exactly. Help her okay. with the cost of that. Yeah. There'd be like more support up front, yeah. but then understanding that two years down the line, the kids are back in school. She's got her degree now. She's going to be able to go and get a job as a public school teacher. And now she's going to be able to be earning more than she would have sure. otherwise. And then you'd go back and recalculate at that point because now she's got a good paycheck every week. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, on that note, there's a word that I can't think of and you'll remind me of it. There are like certain things in an agreement that are forever, right? And then in a divorce agreement. And then there are certain things that can be reevaluated in the future, right? right? Like I think child That's related the stuff. The surviving right? and merging. Okay, yeah, those yes, are the words. Yeah. I know, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so we talk a lot so, about survival and merger. Okay. Uh, yeah, so survival means that it's a term in your divorce agreement that can never be revisited. Okay. That's it. Like okay. it's one and done. You agreed to it today and it can't get changed. And examples of that are what? Asset divide? Assets division, right? So you're going to agree at the time of divorce as to how you're going to divide your retirement accounts. What you're going to do with the house, right? Are you going to sell it? Are you one party going to buy it from the other one for how much? Things like that. The court isn't going to go back and relitigate that as the house value changes, right? It's okay, today you're locking in your number and you're done. Okay. We'll be right back with more from today's guest, divorce law expert, Allison Walsh. 
This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back with today's guest, divorce law expert, Allison Walsh. Things that can change is anything to do with the kids. Because okay. kids change. Anyone that has kids know that you can't predict the future. Yeah. So anything with kids can change. And that would include child support. That could include anything with health insurance for the kids. Okay. Kids activity expenses. Okay. Any, anything under the kid umbrella. Other things that you can change but don't have to include health insurance for the spouses. Okay. So some people lock in. They say, we both have jobs. We both have health insurance through our jobs. We don't need to worry about this. Okay. Other spouses, it might not be as certain. They're self-employed or whatever they may want to have the opportunity to revisit okay. that issue in the future. So the couples can decide certain things that survive and certain things that permanent and certain things that can be reevaluated or the courts kid issues always can be reevaluated. So okay. the yeah. the parents can't you can't lock in child support at a certain number for example when a kid is 2 oh, yeah. expect that to stay the same till the kid is 22. What about alimony can that ever Alimony can be locked in or it can be or can be merged oh, so, be the, so a couple would have to agree on that or the court would decide. So if the court or, deci- the court doesn't have the ability to lock it in the okay. court it would have okay. the court would always, always have, has to leave okay, it okay. open. Oh, okay. But the parties can decide that we just want to lock in and the example I just gave about somebody that maybe they're going to go back and get their masters or something. Yeah. That would be an example where you'd probably want it to survive to just stay okay we're looking at a short period of time a couple of years we're going to have some alimony yeah. and maybe some payment help paying the tuition or whatever in the short term and then at the the end of this either the alimony would stop or I guess you could merge that too and say we're going to reevaluate it you could do it I guess you could do it both ways as I'm actually talking through this yeah but. so the reasons obviously there are reasons why one member of the couple might want to reevaluate something, right? right? If it's expected income changes or whatever, obviously kid related stuff, but they might want to survive or lock certain things in to avoid what the expense and the hassle of going back to court later. And yeah, exactly. And so that no surprises either. You're not going to suddenly, easier to plan in your own life, find something in your mailbox that says you have to go back to court and look at this. And that's the thing. So with kids, you have to know that the kid stuff can change up until, you know, your youngest child is emancipated. But with some of the other stuff, if people want certainty, you can lock that in. And typically we see, I would say, with a lot of marriages where the kids have already finished college, maybe the spouses are older, you see a lot of the agreement surviving. Okay. The only thing yeah. that might really yeah. merge might be the alimony. Okay. Occasionally health insurance, but especially if you're getting towards like Medicaid, Medicare age or something, sometimes yeah. they'll just say, we're going to do this and sure. then we'll go on Medicare. Really short-term marriages, like the ones I, when I talked about at the beginning, couple years, just lock part, stuff in and you yeah. just lock stuff in and walk away, right? Yeah. We'll both get health insurance through our job, Yeah. sell the house, done, walk away. Way, whatever. What's yeah. the age of emancipation for a kid? Is it 18 or when they're done with school, maybe? Yes. Or whichever comes, what, later? So it's, yes. So it's 18, but if the kids are still living at home at 18 and taking a class okay. or it's, yeah, it, the courts aren't going to really kick kids off of child support at 18 because I know, I think nowadays too, we see kids, maybe they're working part-time and taking a class at a community college. That yeah. would still be, I would say the courts would still say that's unemancipated. Okay. Things that a hundred percent emancipate you are joining the military, getting married. I see. In college, you're obviously still unemancipated. Once you graduate from college, uh, after four years, you're emancipated. So okay. four years of college graduated or the age of 23. So the max age 
on child support is 23. Can we talk about college tuition actually on this sure. note? Because we talked about child support calculations and I'm assuming that doesn't include, and someone receiving child support for their kid might probably isn't receiving enough to like save for their college tuition. So how does the court approach who, which parent is going to pay for college? It's totally separate from child support. And it's not, unless there are significant reti- college savings assets, it's not like an right. asset divide. So how do they approach who's going to pay? So it's like a third. I feel like I see that a lot. Is yeah. That just this, yeah. So the child support guidelines, and I can't remember how many years ago, actually spelled out how to do this because okay. it was a little bit more fungible back in the day. Yeah. But the, the sort of the rule of thumb now is that the court can't order each parent to pay more than 50% of the cost of UMass Amherst. Okay. So basically- The court can't order a parent to pay more than half. Either more, parent to pay more than half. More than 50% okay. Okay. of the cost of UMass Amherst. That's so tuition, uh, so basically right now, I think UMass All In is about 30, 30 something like that. Yeah. yeah, just for easy math, if we said $16,000 each. Okay. And then oftentimes we see parents, and so frankly, sometimes the court will do this where they'll say, you know what? I want the kid to have some skin in the game because yeah. I don't want them to just go off to UMass and not take this seriously. Right. I know I'm sure well, everybody- I'm forced to pay the tuition. Everybody, yeah. so yeah. they'll say, and again, for the purpose we'll use 33 because it's easier to divide in three so sure. we'll say the, the kid will pay 11 the each parent yeah. will pay 11 and the kid will do that through taking out a student loan work study sure. whatever yeah. yeah okay and then if they go to private school then the kid it's on the kid what how do they so it's really it's up to the, the parents can okay. always agree yeah. to do more than that if somebody wants to pay eighty five thousand dollars to go to bu or whatever bu is yeah, now if the parents want to go above and beyond that but the court's not going to ever force Got them it. to do that okay and frankly one thing we've seen is if the kid can get a deal that's better than UMass and sometimes with scholarships and things they can, yeah. then the parents would do a third of that lower okay. lower amount. So I know a few years okay. ago I had a situation where the kid got scholarships and whatever and it came down to, the private school cost came down to a 19. So Great. then it was like yeah. they each did like 6,500 or something okay. like that. Okay. Let's get into asset division. We've only got sure. 10 or 12 minutes. The new one hour show flies by. It does. I know. So I guess maybe you want to touch on different length marriages because this is different for different length marriages. Marriages. Asset divide, similar to alimony, right. is different for different like marriages. You were saying that you ca- you often get a question, why can't I keep my 401k? It's in my name. It's my money. Right. And let's, we obviously want to talk about real estate and the primary home. Where do we start there? So, right, different length marriages, the right. division of assets is probably different. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I think I mentioned at the beginning, if it's a really short-term marriage, a lot of times it's just you keep what you brought in and you walk away. And if you guys bought a house together, put the house on the market, sell it and split it. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. If it's the long term, so the really short marriages and the really long marriages are the easier ones. The okay. really long marriages, the court's going to be looking for something that's pretty close to a 50-50 division of the assets, understanding that both parties obviously contributed, even if one was the primary wage earner and the other one was at home, for example. Yeah, the, homemaking, the raising home, kids probably. That, that, yeah still helps the primary wage earner work the long sure. hours, make the bonuses, make the commissions, sure. whatever that was able to support the family. So sure. they should get, they should not have retirement yeah. right? because they were home. So they would get half the 401k, half the whatever. And um, what's a really long marriage? Is it 20 years or more? Or yeah. Roughly? For, for saying, yeah, for purposes for the court, they always say 20 years or more. Okay. When you start to get into 17, 18, 19, it starts mm, to look more 50, 50 yeah. yeah. The ones that are where there's a little bit more wiggle room, I'd say are like your 10, 12, 13, 
13-year marriages because then sometimes you'll have a situation where maybe somebody has an old 401k from their old job that they haven't touched, but it was from before they were married. But then they've bought the house together. They have new retirement savings from their current employer. That kind of stuff's going to get divided 50-50, but there's a good argument to be made that old 401k from when they were in their 20s that no one's ever touched, maybe that should be theirs. And a court will entertain that on some of those, we call them the mid-length marriages. Okay. So what, under seven years is short, something like that? 20 or more years is very long, Uh and then everything in between is a gray area. And I'm sure those are pretty common. And when you're on your eight, you're closer to seven, whereas if you're 19, you're closer to 20. So that's why I said 10, 12 is your sweet spot there. We actually have a caller. So let's go to Michael from Vermont. Well, we got pretty good range. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Power of the stream. (laughs) Hi, Michael. How you doing, everyone? Great, great show. Don't want to interrupt the discussion. Just a quick question sure. about the prenup that was that had come up earlier. Sure. How ironclad is it? Ooh, I've heard that good question. some are ironclad, some are contested. I'm just really curious to hear about how Allison feels about the all-important prenup. Awesome. Okay. So first off, I'm going to, you're in Vermont, so I'm not licensed in Vermont. So okay. I will put that out there. I'm licensed in Massachusetts and New York. So, okay. so don't, talk about don't, it in, under the umbrella yeah, of Mass. Under like, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I just don't know in, in Vermont. Um, sure. So in Massachusetts, there are certain factors that the court has to look at to determine whether the prenup is, again, fair and reasonable is always one of the hallmarks. Things that are going to make a prenup more enforceable right down the line is the keys are, is it fair and reasonable? reasonable at the time that you entered into it? Yeah. And is it fair and reasonable at the time that you get divorced, right? Mm-hmm. For example, if you yeah. say that one spouse gets everything and the other spouse gets nothing and the marriage lasts 55 hours like the Britney Spears first marriage, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably fair and reasonable. Sure. It doesn't matter. Jason if it's Alexander, yeah. Jason Alexander, exactly. Oh, okay. But if fast forward 25 years and one spouse is getting everything and the other spouse is getting nothing, that's probably not fair and reasonable at that point. There's other, that, that would almost be considered, they start to think about it as like, unconscionable. Like you can't have one, you can't have one spouse that's going to be broke or bankrupt and the other spouse having everything. So if you had an agreement like that, there's a really good chance it would get challenged and that the court might not uphold it. The ways to make prenups work is to have basically both parties have lawyers and to have some give and take and some negotiation. So what I'm hearing, they're not ironclad. They're not ironclad. <laughs> right. yeah. But yeah. okay, yeah. so can you talk about what's in it? I'm, I'm assuming in a, the reason for a prenup is, well, let's take an example where there's one spouse going into a marriage from a very wealthy family and has significant assets maybe in his or her name or projected to be in his or her name in the future. And so I would assume a prenup could address that, right? Yep. But does a prenup ever address during the course of a marriage, like if there's significant income differentials, right? ex-spouse would keep... X percent of what's accumulated during the marriage. Is this addressed in a prenup? It can can be. Can it be? Yeah. And then, so if it's somewhat pro rata, maybe that's considered fair and reasonable at the time. Mm -hmm. But then you're saying at the time, if they get divorced... Maybe it's not fair and reasonable because maybe the income differential wasn't as substantial as it was projected to be. So then that one spouse shouldn't be entitled to a larger percentage of what was accumulated during the marriage. Am I on the, is that a good example of like why it would not be ironclad? Yeah, if you've got a floating income differential there, that actually, yeah, I guess it was a situation where one person was walking away with very little. Yeah. That's what they're really going to look at at the end of the day. I feel like the ones that I see with percentages actually are usually a little bit fairer the way they're written because at least it's like acknowledging that there could be a difference and things might go up and down. Yeah. I think it's the ones to me that really are basically saying you 
you get nothing okay. or you get very little. Yeah. Or you're going to get, after we're married for 20 years, you get $50,000 and have a nice day. Yeah. And somebody else has millions of dollars. That's not going to probably fly. Is the right? court looking at what was what happened during the length of the marriage? If one member of the couple has significant assets going into the marriage, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that a prenup could could still protect that, what, yes. what went into that. But I would assume the court's just looking at what happened during the marriage. What was the income? What was the growth of assets? What came into their names during the course of the marriage? Right. That would be examined to determine what's fair and reasonable upon divorce. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I think the fairest prenup, or what a prenup is really designed to do, frankly, is to carve out those premarital assets. And, yeah. and oftentimes yeah. we see that prenups are driven by the family and not yeah. so much the sure. people getting married. Yeah. It might be that like sure. grandpa and grandma are like, yeah. I know that there's an inheritance coming and yeah. we want to carve that out. Yeah. So things where the premarital assets are carved out and sort of everything in the marriage gets split 50-50, which is a very common prenup yeah. term, those are the type that are really going to... Sounds probably, they, fair those are, reasonable to me. Yeah, yeah. That's, those are pretty fair. Yeah. And that's going to that's gonna hold up. It's yeah. the ones where that are so one-sided that basically it says that somebody might be left homeless at the end of this yeah. or something. Even if he or she signed it, that's not fair and reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Michael, do you have any more questions in that regard? Does that answer your question? Uh, no. Yeah. Hugely helpful. Great show. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, have Michael. a good day. Take care. Take care. Have a good rest of yeah, the day. Yeah, you as well. I'm glad he asked that question because I actually didn't know that a prenup was an ironclad. Yeah, right? so, you, know, you always hear people that. say that yeah. they have the ironclad prenup, but and people sometimes. So this is an interesting example. So I believe Donald Trump and Melania they renegotiated their prenup when he okay. won the presidency because she. My understanding is she didn't want to move to Washington, oh. so they went back and did what's called a postnuptial agreement or okay. whatever the New York equivalent of that is. Yeah, and renegotiated the terms. Oh. Interesting. So, so yeah, you can. That's the thing. Like you can. It's there. The prenup is there, and it's in your drawer somewhere. But if you choose to not follow it, you can change it later. Oh, or, interesting. So, and yeah. postnups are they're probably not all that common. No. But those are like a thing. And a I've, thing. I've actually had situations in my experience where the financial situation changes dramatically for one member of a couple, mm-hmm. maybe not long after the marriage, and so it's just kind of like people shouldn't know that those do exist, and maybe presents awkward conversations with you and your spouse, but maybe not. But to, right. Depends on the relationship post the situation. Nups, yeah. Yeah. Postnups yeah. are actually like if prenups aren't ironclad, postnups are less ironclad. Certainly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so because because you don't have yeah. so the way the courts look at it is in the prenup you still have the ultimate bargaining power of saying, I'm not showing up at the wedding a month from Saturday or whatever. Yeah. So there's some bargaining power there. In the postnup, you're already married. So where's your bargaining power? Okay. Right. That's the the, I don't want to say ethical issue, but the legal issue around it is yeah. you're already in the marriage. So how are, how is it fair to now be renegotiating? Yeah. yeah. But I guess under that heading, why would they sign it? Too? Which again right. is yeah. to make these things There's no stick, yeah, make yeah. sure everybody's got a good attorney, competent yeah. family law attorney that knows their stuff. You negotiate it fairly. That's the kind of stuff that's going to cause a judge to say, okay, this was probably fair. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's we got to wrap it. up. Allison Walsh, thank you so much. This is attorney Allison Walsh with Walsh Law Office. Offices all over Massachusetts. Yes. <laughs> Primary office, office in, in Hingham. Hingham, and then you mentioned Hyannis and, and Danvers. I, yeah, I have and, an office I work out of in Danvers once in a while. Awesome. Yeah. You can learn out, learn more about her at allisonwalshlaw.com. That's Allison with two L's and an I. Thank you so much for your time this morning. That was awesome. That was great. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial. We have offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford. You can find out more about us at McNamara mcnamarafinancial.com or mcnamaraofthemerrimack.com. If you missed any of our shows, you can check out our podcast. We are on all the podcast apps that you could possibly think of, and the show is called McNamara on Money. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Allison Walsh, thank you so much. Take Thanks, care. Alyssa. Thanks. Bye-bye.